and welcome to mini episode 70 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? I have six lovely listener stories for you today and the last story came from I think the 30th of June 2020. Are you ready? Never ready. And story number one comes from Andy. I live in a small village outside of Nottingham. Cue the Robin Hood references. My house is relatively old, I'd say 1970s, but my parents bought it in the late 90s for their growing family. It would make sense that it would be haunted considering the previous owner told my mother that her husband had died in the house. A few years after they moved in, my dad died in a car accident. What a great start to your new family life, no? Anyway, I've never felt inherently scared of my house. It doesn't have the negative vibes that people associate with a haunting. It's always been warm, comforting and homely, but some freaky stuff has happened over the years. When I was a baby, I was put in the tiny box room. It's pink and light, but faces my neighbour's brick wall side of the house, so it gets very little direct sunlight. There's also built-in wardrobes, which may be a cause of the room feeling more enclosed. As I got older, I hated that room. I moved out of it when I was 10, as one of my sisters moved out. It just felt heavy in there. My brother's ex-girlfriend also told me she felt the same about that room. When I told my middle sister one day about how I felt about the room, she told me that when I was a baby she would babysit, I would scream and cry in that room until she picked me up and took me to my mum's room where I would stop crying and fall promptly to sleep, just to wake up and scream if I was put back into my own bed. Most of the activity seemed to centre around my oldest sister. In one of the first experiences she had, she came running down the stairs asking if any of us had moved her small ivory jewellery box from her desk. She turned the room upside down and couldn't find it. We told her we hadn't taken it nor had we seen it, and she returned upstairs and screamed. The jewellery box was sat in the middle of her now clear desk. Following this, my mum took her to a psychic, and the psychic made a few startling comments. Most memorable for me were about my beautiful blue eyes, despite not being there, as people often comment on them, and concluded that my dad was still around and sometimes, as was in his nature, he liked to play pranks and move things before putting them back in obvious places. The activity seemed to go on with my oldest sister feeling someone sitting on the edge of her bed when she was alone in the house and hearing people shout her name in her ear when she was alone. I now have her old room which was one wall which is almost entirely window. When the sun shines and you sit on the windowsill, you can see your shadow on the floor. One day, she was sitting on the windowsill, smoking out the window, when she saw a second shadow stood behind her own. She laughed and started waving her hand over the second shadow, thinking how weird it was that it could look like a person was next to her. There are no trees outside and nothing that could have caused that, but it didn't scare her. She was just mildly amused by the situation. The thing with the activity is that it's largely things that could be brushed off as forgetting things. My mum is a cautious woman. She always turns the hobs off, checks the doors multiple times before going to bed, etc. One day my sister-in-law came home before anybody else. In the living room, on top of our old blocky TV was a candle and it was newly lit. Nobody had been home all day and if it had been lit in the morning, it would have been burnt out by the time anyone came home. Similarly, I came home from school one day. At that time, I was the first one home every day and would be alone for an hour or so. 
I had my headphones in, walked up the stairs and got to my room before I heard some noise over the sound of my headphones. My music was loud, so this noise must have been even louder for me to hear it upstairs and over my own music. I took the headphones out and walked downstairs. The radio had turned on. The thing is, if it was so loud that I heard it upstairs, how had I ignored it when walking past the kitchen on my way upstairs if it was on when I came in? I told both my sisters on separate occasions about what happened and how confused I was because it was an old radio with no preset features to turn on at a certain time. I got a shiver when both of my sisters told me that the same thing had happened to them when nobody else was in the house and they just shrugged it off like I did. My final story is one told by my brother. He's sceptical of the paranormal and denies the existence of all ghosts but this is something that he can't explain. One night when I was 14, my brother knocked on my door and he looked pale and terrified. I asked what was wrong and he said he needed to show me something. I followed him to his room, a newer loft conversion. He told me that he and his girlfriend at the time had been watching something and he stacked two empty pint glasses on the bedside table. He pointed to the table, which was empty and told me to look underneath it. Directly underneath the table were the glasses, stacked on top of each other, standing upright with the inside glass shattered, but the outside glass was still intact, with no cracks and no damage. They told me they had heard a shatter, turned and found the cups under the table with the inside ones smashed. If they had fallen, they wouldn't be under the table upright and likely would both be damaged. I could see the fear in my brother's face when he had come to get me, so I don't think it was a hoax either. It turns out that at that point he was in a bad place. His girlfriend was manipulative and abusive, which may have gained the attention of whatever was haunting the house. I like to think that it was my dad giving him a message to get out of the relationship, but I guess I'll never know. We've got lots of haunting stuff going on in this, but I need to address the pint glass story first, if that is okay with you. Yeah, go for it. Is this a case of a temporary portal opening up on the desk? Because the glass could have fallen through it and the inside one would have shattered if it had gone straight down, right? You love a portal. Just saying. Like, you love a portal. I don't know. Well, maybe it is, but I feel like... I I feel like it's her dad trying to communicate with them in the kind of least uh, threatening way possible. And that's why they have, all all of them have experienced different little things that you might go, oh, that's that's weird. Or you might not notice it at all. I tend to agree with you with everything apart from the glass, where I feel like it's very reminiscent of a story we've had before, where there was like an object fell and then arrived somewhere else. Do you remember that story? Oh, was it an object? Somebody dropped something and then they found it like in another room yeah. or... Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And, and also, like all the stuff with the with the sister and and the and the brother and that, with the exception of the glass, is all very sort of could very dad like behaviour. <laughs> but the Andy not liking the room when they were younger is a bit different, isn't it? To the oh, other stories. Oh, that's true. That is different. I forgot about her not liking the room when she was younger. That's the bit of it actually. Yeah, that I forgot. I don't know. I just don't know. It's a weird one, isn't it? And story number two comes from Marley. My mother was born on the island of São Miguel, Azores, Portugal. 
She immigrated to Canada with her parents and older brother at age six. Her father, my grandfather, was what we would call a psychic medium today, though he certainly didn't advertise his abilities. And as far as I can tell, everyone in the family knew about them, but it wasn't that big of a deal. He died before I was born, so I've never been able to ask him about any of this, but I lived in his house with my grandmother for seven years, and I felt his presence often. I like to think I was sensitive, and if I am, I got that from him. But I digress. Legend holds that my grandfather had been bothered by spirits his entire life. And not just him, but his younger siblings too. Though he was the only one who could see and interact with them. The Azores at this time was very impoverished, so his younger brothers all shared one large bed as children. They would be so plagued by spirits in the night that my grandfather had to start sleeping across the bottom of the bed to keep them at bay. Not long after he married my grandmother, as per tradition, they moved temporarily into her parents' home while they searched for a place to live. And he had an interesting experience. He had gone to bed, but my grandmother remained up with her mother and sister in the kitchen. My grandfather was awoken by my grandmother trying to get under the covers, which he had been hogging on his side of the bed. He had his back to her, so couldn't see her. But he began to extricate himself from the blankets he was hoarding when he heard something that gave him pause. What he heard was my grandmother, still in the kitchen talking to her sister. He rolled over, and sure enough, the woman trying to climb into his bed was a spirit. He tried to grab her, but she vanished. He could see spirits wherever he went. Even after coming to Canada, they did not leave him in peace. So this is where the legend ends and the real story begins. You see, because of his abilities, my grandfather found himself on the radar of the local witch. This was Azores, Portugal in the early 1950s, so witches were still a very real, though little talked about, thing. My grandparents had moved into their own home, which faced out into the little village square. Basically, there was a giant green space across the road from their house, bordered on all sides by rows of houses. Their house was on one corner of the square, and the witch lived on the opposite corner from them, diagonally across the park. My uncle, my mother's older brother, was only about five months old, a healthy, chubby, content baby that my grandmother and her sister doted on, often taking him for walks around the square in his pram. One day, the witch was waiting for them outside her home. Now these are some seriously Catholic women, and they did not believe this woman was a witch, so they weren't concerned when she approached them, or when she leaned over to look at my uncle in the pram. They weren't even concerned when she cursed him, because they didn't believe in such things. But my healthy baby uncle became deathly ill. He cried all the time. He didn't sleep, he wouldn't eat, he lost weight and developed jaundice. My grandparents took him to specialists in the island capital, and even took him to a specialist on the mainland. But every test showed that he was a perfectly healthy child. Except that he was dying and my grandmother's prayers and blessings from the parish priest weren't helping. Finally, after months of my uncle wasting away, my great-grandmother took matters into her own hands. She said to my grandmother, Maria, this child has been cursed. I've been trying to tell you, but you refuse to listen. Are you going to let him die, or are you going to do what needs to be done? Or words to that effect. 
but that's what I've been told was said. However, it could have been embellished for the drama, which, to be honest, is pretty perfect. Finally, my grandmother relented and let her mother take the baby to the local witch doctor. Yes, the village had one of those too. Who took one look at my uncle and knew not only that he was cursed, but who had cursed him. The witch doctor told my grandmother that in order to break the curse, she had to wrap my uncle in his father's, my grandfather's, pants every night and feed him some sort of herbal concoction every day for a week. The curse would break and he would begin to eat and sleep regularly. And it worked. My uncle began to get better and when they next walked him around the square again, the witch was waiting. This time, the women were very wary of her, though they still didn't truly believe she was a real witch. So when she approached them this time, they were cautious. But she just peeked into my uncle's pram, noticed he was healthy once more and said, I see your mother has finally figured out what to do for you. Before she turned and went back into her house. They lived in the same house for another 10 years after that and never had another encounter with the witch. I frequently ask my grandmother to tell me this story and while she is reluctant and often laughs at the ridiculousness of it all, she tells it the same way every time and she swears which is a big deal for an uber catholic portuguese woman that it is the absolute truth so there's there's obviously two parts to this story both of which are fantastic i the thought or the way that i pictured the spirit woman climbing into the bed with the granddad is giving me the shibbles the problem with this is, right, say if it was if it was me and I was in bed and a spirit decided to get into bed with me and I can only imagine that the 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 idea behind that is for like optimum scares, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to scare the shit out of her now. I, they'd be lying there for ages because I definitely wouldn't even turn over. Not that even if I was awake, I'd just be like, oh, I can't be bothered turning over. Just, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to sleep now. So they'd just be lying there for ages going, any second now. Uh, no, this is pointless. <laughs> And some of you may be thinking that Emma has just said this for comedic effect, but I can vouch that it's 100% true. I have no doubts that that would be the least effective way of haunting Emma is to climb into bed with her when she's asleep because there would be no response. No, but even if I was awake, if it was nighttime, I'm not engaging with anybody at nighttime. So including ghosts, no interest. But yeah, I just, I've um, I've made that 10 times scarier than it is in my head. So thank you for that imagery. Um, I am fully creeped out. Hey, I kind of, love the audacity of this witch <laughs> like i know it's not good that the child got sick right but the child then was cured so we're all good but i love the audacity of her imagine living across the road from somebody attempting to kill their child and then just carrying on and being like um yeah what and then the child is, is cured and you're like oh finally figured it out then did you see you later what a bitch yeah love her yeah. it was a real like that will learn you moment, won't it? Like you're you're underestimating me as a witch, so I'm going to curse your child because I know that someone will sort you out, and then everything will be good. Unless, of course, right? In real, true horror movie style, she actually didn't curse the child. She put a spell of protection on the child, and that's why she had the audacity because she was like, "No." Something, something's wrong with this child or somebody else is cursing this child I'm going to protect them but everybody misunderstands her in the area see I'm giving this witch a whole backstory that she does not need <laughs> I mean that's a shout that is a shout and you've written a movie half a movie there so uh, James Wan over to you yeah get in contact with me James Um, I'll I'll half write the script and you can do the rest but I want all the credit I mean you probably have to contact Molly actually because it's not your story but 
Sorry, Marley, it's my story now, right? Because I've given I've given that witch a backstory and I'm running with it. And story number three comes from Luke. On the topic of homemade Ouija boards, we made one at uni out of a glass mirror and used an upturned glass on it. Bit frightening that we did that now. Health and safety and all that. Anyway, we contacted a spirit and the glass was not moving too well on the mirror. Someone got some vegetable oil out of the kitchen and put a little oil on the mirror and we asked the spirit if that was better and the spirit moved the glass straight to yes. We carried on the session for quite a period of time. We had contacted the spirit of a young girl who had died of smallpox. Individuals lifted their hands occasionally off the glass and by the end we were 100% convinced that not one of us was moving that glass. All I have to say, Luke, is that you're very lucky that you didn't open the gates of hell in your uni room. We As know everyone that... knows, a Ouija board and vegetable oil. <laughs> but you do you do get extra points for creativity because I feel like most of the homemade Ouija boards have been cardboard or, you know, a bit of wood. But a mirror and vegetable oil is, is quite, you know, I feel like that's an upmarket homemade Ouija board. So credit for that. But just, just don't make Ouija boards for people. It never ends well. It never ends well. You probably don't realise this, Luke, but there's probably a spirit of a smallpox victim, probably a little girl following you around, just to let you know. And before we go on to the next story, I just want to give you a little warning that it does deal with suicide. And story number four comes from Tracy. For as long as I can remember, my youngest son played and cooed with an imaginary friend. From the time that he could talk, when playing with said friend, he called him Daniel. He literally said Daniel before he said the word mommy. I paid close attention to the cartoons he watched, my older son's friends, friends of the babysitter, to try and figure out where the name Daniel may have come from. And nothing. After a weekend of my boys staying with their aunt, I went to pick them up. Their aunt stated, Cayman talked to his imaginary friend Daniel a lot this weekend. I took a deep breath and just blurted it out. I don't think his friend is so imaginary. And she sighed a sigh of relief and said, I am so glad you said that because I don't think so either. Nightly for the next couple of years, at some point in the middle of the night, Cayman would wake up and play with Daniel. I witnessed him playing pass. I didn't see a ball, but his movements were definitely of a ball being thrown and caught. He chatted and talked to him, although I couldn't make out a lot of the baby gibberish. It didn't matter if he was in my room, his room, his brother's room, or even not at home. His dad, his grandmother, both aunts, and the babysitter all witnessed the same thing that I was seeing. When Cayman was about a year and a half, my husband's sister passed away unexpectedly. On a whim one day, we decided to go to a psychic, just for pure curiosity, and some of the family thought there may have been some foul play in her death. We sat down with the psychic, but the reading took us a very different direction than what we were there for. The psychic paused, looked directly at my husband and stated, You have a guardian angel, and his name is Daniel. I literally gasped out loud and nearly fell off my chair. My husband and I knowingly looked at each other in disbelief. There was a long, awkward, silent car ride back. What do you say to that? My husband and I split up for reasons irrelevant to the story, but the visits from Daniel did not subside. It's been nearly two years now that Daniel comes to play in the middle of the night, every single night. Cayman was sleeping in my room and it was a Saturday night. 
a night that will forever be embedded in my brain as much as I would like to forget it. Just like any other night for so many years, I was awakened to Cayman talking to Daniel. But this time it was different. They weren't playing and laughing. Cayman was upset and trying to tell me what Daniel was telling him. God love his little baby two-year-old heart. He just didn't have the vocabulary to tell me, try as he may. Cayman was shaking and upset and stated, Mommy, Daddy, car, keys, over and over again. Mommy, Daddy, car, keys. On Monday morning, they found his dad, holding a picture of Cayman and his brother, a cross in the other hand, in a field, in his car, carbon monoxide poisoning. And suddenly, mommy, daddy, car and keys made so much sense. From all of the police reports, coroner's reports, etc., the date of death was undetermined. But I know it was Saturday night. For a few more months, Daniel would visit, but not every night. Sometimes Cayman would talk to Daniel and Daddy, and then it just faded out until one day it stopped completely. I believe in my heart of hearts, in every fibre of my being, that Daniel was and is a guardian angel. I believe that he was with both my husband and Cayman that cold, lonely night. I believe he was there for so long beforehand, knowing what the end outcome was to be. I believe that he knew my sweet baby angel came and was too young to understand why his dad would go away, never to return, so befriended him long before to help him in this sad journey without the words to communicate his feelings, and I thank him for that. I believe that once Cayman had a grip and understanding and it was time, he moved on to help the next baby angel who needed him. So if anyone is listening and your baby angel is talking to an imaginary friend named Daniel, Tell him that 19-year-old Cayman and myself are truly grateful for him and his assistance when we needed him most. What an incredible story. I'd say that your reading of that situation is probably spot on, Tracy. I can't see. It just seems so meant to be that Cayman was talking to Daniel from such a young age and it was such a source of comfort when it needs to be. What else could it be? This this story really shook me. The realisation for Tracy of, of what had happened, like reading that story, it hit me like a bolt. I cannot imagine what it would have felt like to have that realisation in real life. Like it just, I, I'm interested to know, Tracy, if you're still listening to the podcast or whenever you hear this, does Cayman remember Daniel? Like does, does he, because often we hear these imaginary friend stories and the kids have no recollection of it afterwards or they just, just can't recall ever having an imaginary friend or that period of time. I just, I'm curious to know whether Cayman remembers any of Daniel because like what did he look like? Was he another child or was he an adult that was a guardian angel? Because I am just fascinated by this whole story. It, it is that thing of not having the words, like Cayman not having the words to be able to explain what Daniel was telling him. I just, the whole thing is just equal parts, I think, baffling and fascinating and also incredibly sad. On a completely unrelated note, I do love hearing stories with the name Cayman in it because I have a Cayman in my family. So I thought that was very nice. And story number five comes from Anonymous. My mother-in-law was an amazing woman I truly loved her and she felt like a second mother to me. We hung out all the time without my husband and she did so much for us. A truly kind, smart firecracker of a woman. 
When she died after a fairly long illness, we were devastated. Losing her was the most terrible thing that has ever happened to me. I often say to my husband how I can't imagine how he handles the pain of her loss. She wasn't even my mother. Within the first year of her death, I became pregnant. Within days of knowing, I had a dream that I'd given birth to the baby. My mother-in-law was there, picked the naked baby up and said, He's beautiful and he looks just like his dad. I knew from that day that the baby I was carrying was a boy. Months later, on the day of the big scan where you find out the sex of your child, I was in the shower wondering to myself if my dream would prove true and I was really having a boy. As I left the bathroom, still thinking about the scan results and my dream, I walked down the hall to my bedroom and noticed something strange in the room that would become the nursery. The window was all fogged up, as if from my shower, and on the window in big letters that took up the whole frame was the word boy. It looked as if someone had taken two fingers and wrote it on the window. I stared at the window for some time in disbelief. The letters weren't perfect, but it was definitely intentional. I grabbed my cell phone and snapped a picture. I called my husband into the house and asked him if he had wrote on the window and he swore he hadn't. We were even surprised that the window had fogged up from the shower. I had left the door to the bathroom open. My dog at the time liked to check up on me in the bathroom or she freaked out. But only that room's window was fogged. None of the other rooms were foggy at all. We wondered if maybe I had somehow written the word the last time I would cleaned the window. We rarely had people over to the house, let alone in that room, and none of it made sense. At my scan, I was told the baby was a boy. And afterwards, when our sisters wanted the news, I didn't tell them, but instead texted the picture of the window and asked who had done it. They both swore they hadn't, but they both clearly read the word boy on the window, and one even replied back, so it's a boy then. My son's birth took a very long time. And by the time he joined us, his face was pretty swollen and he was the ugliest little thing. I said to my husband that my dream had been wrong about one thing. The baby looks nothing like him. But the next day, when the swelling had gone down, my son was the spitting image of his father, right down to a head of thick brown hair. I just kept thinking, he's beautiful and he looks just like his dad. I don't know how to explain this. I mean, the dream could easily be coincidence. The writing on the foggy window too could be a fluke. I still have the picture on a memory stick somewhere. Maybe one day I will tell my son and let him decide what he wants to make of this. I still miss my mother-in-law every damn day. I still remember my dream vividly and regardless if it was some sort of communication from the beyond or not, it was nice seeing her again and hearing her voice one last time. I would say that that is a very clear and distinctive message from beyond the grave from your mother-in-law. I think, you know, you've got the the dream, which is one thing, and then you've got the foggy boy written on the... Well, it wasn't foggy boy that was written on the windowsill. Yeah, weird message. (laughs) It was just boy. But uh, the fact that the the, the baby then looked like your husband as well is just just very good. I would like to think that that would be a very good uh, joke if... You know, when she said that the baby came out and it was swollen because of the birth and really ugly and the mother-in-law was like, ha ha, looks like, it looks like your husband. And that would be a good little joke, I think. But obviously then the swelling went down and the baby just looked like husband. So maybe not actually a joke. I love stories like this because I just, I just find them really comforting. 
I think they're really nice. I find it really comforting, but there's also a small part of me that dies every time that I hear these kind of stories because there's a baby that's got more hair than me and I, I find it quite uh, soul-destroying. There are lots of babies that have more hair than you. I'm sorry to be the one to have to break the news to you. And story number six comes from Jacob. I live in Maine in this small, quiet town. You guys were talking about all these people that need to be heard and want their story to be heard, and I can relate as well. I just don't feel like anyone would believe me. At this moment in time, I'm 17 years old, and back when it happened, I was 10 years old. I had moved upstairs to a bedroom and four months had gone by. I came home from soccer practice. I take a shower, I eat, etc., and it was about 8 o'clock when I fell asleep. I woke up at 10.30 at night, and I was laying in bed. I opened my eyes, and I looked out my door, and on the stairs was a girl. She had this red dress on, and she looked like she had been crawling up the stairs. She was crying, and her makeup was running down her face, and her hair looks like she was in the rain, but it wasn't raining that night. This didn't look like a stereotypical cloud of smoke or mist or anything like that. She was in colour. Like I said, she had a red dress. Her hair was a light red with a mix of blonde. I was terrified. And I went under the covers and eventually fell asleep. I didn't tell anyone about it in the morning. My parents are Christian, so I didn't know how well it would go over. It was quiet for a while, but she came back when I was 14. It was 10 o'clock at night and I went to bed. I woke up at 12 and I looked out my door and there she was, in the doorway, not crying but still had her makeup smeared down her cheeks as if she had been crying. She was looking into my room and our eyes locked and she looked interested. She didn't come closer or move further away. I almost screamed because I was so shocked to have the same thing happen again. I went under the covers and waited about five minutes. Eventually, I took a peek and she was gone. If there is a pattern in her appearance, then when I turn 18 next year, I wonder if she will visit again. The house has not been owned by anyone else. My dad and my grandfather built the house, so I'm confused why there would be a spirit here. My only sister is younger, she was about two months old, and my brother doesn't make a habit of crying in a red dress. Well, at least I don't think he does. I hope this makes it onto the podcast one day. I finally have relief for telling someone. How, as a 10-year-old, do you fathom seeing that terrifying thing in your bedroom or outside your bedroom? I can't fathom it as an adult, as a man that is too old to be worried about these things. I cannot fathom it. I would like to point out that while I read these stories, Dan is writing notes... And his notes about the woman in the red dress goes, Jacob, 10 years old, new bedroom, and then red, and it trails off the page. And then he hasn't written anything else since. So, didn't enjoy that one, did you? No. Uh, I am of the opinion that the level of detail in this story is terrifying and therefore is definitely, definitely not something I, I want to encounter. I Fair play to you, Jacob. I would have been making all kinds of tenuous links if I'd have sat through that. I would have quit soccer practice because I would have presumed that would be the reason why. Probably would have never slept in the room again. Yeah, 
I mean, the fact that you're already anticipating a return on your 18th birthday and you seem fairly calm about it from the way it was written, uh, good on you. And you know what, Jacob? We believe you. I, I understand the difficulty of being really frightened that people aren't going to believe the things that you say. We believe you. And uh, we're just here being non-judgmental. That, that goes out to everybody. If you're afraid to write in a story because you think we're going to judge it, we're not going to judge it. It doesn't matter. Just write it in. I am being judgmental. I'm judgmental with that female ghost. I do not want it in my life. Thank you very much. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.